Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. I want to share with you this morning where, where we are in our journey uh, on our series, One Way, Jesus. It's been simply that we have taken time over the last few weeks to begin to process who Jesus says he is. Not what do people say about him, not is what are the numerous thoughts or ideas that are going through our culture and our society, but what does Jesus say about himself? And one of the things that we began with that was clearly declared by him and over and over will be declared by him throughout the Gospels is this simple thought that he is the one and only, the one and only way to right relationship with the Father above. We followed that up the next time when we were sitting back and we were, we were looking at this simple thought that he comes once again. Now he talks about bread and the bread of life. And of course, we all, if you're like me, I love bread. So it's like I'm thinking about loaves of bread, but that's not what he's talking about. He doesn't say a bread for life. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the source of sustenance. And when we went on from that last week, we looked at this simple statement that he made that had powerful ramifications at that moment in the life of a blind beggar when he literally stands up and says, I am the light of the world. Not a light, but the light. Each one of those definitive by nature as they declare, he declares over and over again that he is the one and only light of the world. He is the one and only bread of life. He is the one and only way to right relationship with the Father above. So today what we want to do is pick up the story in John chapter 10. We're going to be looking at those first 10 verses. But before we do that, let me set the stage for this. You may have read on in John chapter 9 to that story as it unfolded about the blind man that was being healed. It was at the very crux and the heart of that message last week, but it wasn't detailed out. So let me just give you a quick synopsis of that. There's a blind man in the temple who's been blind from birth. He's never seen light. And Jesus makes the statement just before coming in contact with him that I am the light of the world. And then he demonstrates that in such a remarkable way. He, he spits and takes some spittle, they call it, that mixture of dust and, and uh, spit, and he puts it on the blind man's eye and says, there, there you have it. Go down to the pool of Siloam, wash that off. And the blind man goes down to that pool, washes that off, boom, he can see. He can see. He'd never seen light before, but he can see. So, of course, that news spreads rapidly. And as he comes back into the temple, he is challenged by the religious leaders over how could this possibly have happened. His response, well, there's this guy named Jesus. That's what he knew. There was a man named Jesus that told me to go wash, and when I washed, I could see. Well, they, that, there was a furious response to that because it's like, how could that possibly happen? This cannot possibly be happening because it's not following all the rules, 
All the rules are not taking place. And so at that point, the man's being pressed, and he goes, well, I, I, he's a prophet. That must be it. He's a prophet. They didn't like that either. That, in fact, that was even worse. Now he's gone from being a man named Jesus to being declared a prophet by this guy. He's still trying to figure out who Jesus... Is that me? Was it my voice? It must have been my voice. Okay. It, you know, cause, can I tell you what? If there's ever a problem with sound and I'm the one speaking, it's me. <laughs> if you've been here and heard me before, you know it's not them. It's, it's me. So anyway, long story, but here he is. So he's being confronted again. And he goes from there, from being a prophet, they press him again. They're pressing him more and more about this, even to the place that they talk to his parents about it. And the whole process, what he comes back with is he finally says these words. He says, okay, you don't like prophet. You don't like his name's Jesus. Okay, he's, he must be a man of God because nobody's ever heard of this happening before. They really didn't like that. And it's a moment later, they're basically throwing him out the door and calling him a sinner and saying, you're not welcome here. So in that context, at that moment, Jesus comes back, sees him, and says to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? It's another term for the Messiah. And the blind man, who's now seeing the person behind the voice that he heard says, I don't know who that is. And Jesus says, it's me. And what happens is the blind man not only believes, it says he fell down and began to worship and praise Jesus. He literally understood that the Messiah was in his presence and he embraced that. At that moment, the, 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 uh, the religious leaders are seeing, and they cry out and go, say something to Jesus to this effect. Do, do, do you think we're blind? And as he begins this course back, he is talking to them with these terms. He says, I tell you the solemn truth. Definition in our words, this is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And he begins to share these two simple stories. And they go like this. Where's my glasses? There we go. I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, that same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens... And the sheep hear his voice, he calls his own sheep by name, and then he leads them out. And when he brings them out, his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration but they did not understand the things that he had spoken to them. So he said to them again, most assuredly, or I tell you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me, they were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. 
The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly. What we have here is a declaration by Jesus saying very simply this, I am the door. Now the word door, it means simply kind of our word, door, except it covers a variety of things. It means like a door or an opening. It can refer to a gate. It can also not only refer to that, it can refer to something like an entrance. A portal would be another term that they would use. This idea of something that transitions you from one place to another, from one room to another, from one location to another, from one kingdom to another, from one dimension to another. The idea that there is a a portal, a place, an entrance, a gate, a door where you can move from one realm into another. And I would suggest that what Jesus is beginning to refer to and share with them is there is a way back to the Father. There's a way back to something that you have not been able to experience in fullness and completeness. There is an entrance to a right relationship with the Most High God, and I am right here. See, that statement there is that it's a door of distinction. It is a one and only. He's not one of many doors that would get you there. He is the door. It reminds me a little bit of C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. And if you've read that before, that, in fact, it was made into a movie. But it's like that, that, that book that talks about as Lucy enters in and she goes through a door. And suddenly she's into a small wardrobe that gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And when she comes out, she's in Narnia, a place that represents and experiences something fuller of an understanding of how God works and his kingdom from one kingdom into another through a door. Jesus says of that door in Matthew 7, verses 13 through 14, enter by the narrow gate or door or entrance or portal, For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life and there are few that find it. That word narrow there really means constricting. It restricts entrance. It's the idea that one person and one person alone can get through that entrance at any one time. And with that, you're not getting through there with everything you want to carry. In other words, no baggage allowed. And I don't mean baggage of those places where you've been wounded and hurt inside. I mean baggage of all the stuff that you want to take with you and that you think is more important than your relationship with the Most High God. You only come in through that door when you're willing to let go of those things that you feel and believe are more important than the door and what's on the other side of it. And what I would just share with you so simply is there is often times in our life that that is actually on a daily basis happening to us. That we come to places where God wants us to let go of something. Let go of that. You don't need that. Not only do you don't need that, you can't carry that on with me. You have to let it go. And the reason is, is when you go through that door, it's a door of distinction. It's a distinct one-of-a-kind door. And it is not a thing. It's a person. Jesus is a person, is the door. 
Secondly is there's this idea that there's a door of decision that happens there. It's a door that decisions always happen when you are in the presence or you are at the entrance or you at that beginning or the stepping point with Jesus Christ. I was... (laughs) I saw this scripture a little bit differently this this week when I was studying and looking at it. That very first verse says, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other the way, the same is a thief and a robber. Now, I don't know how you look at that, but I can tell you my whole life I've looked at it as one way and one way only. Kind of like our series, but the one way, I would say the one way that I don't think right. Okay? One, this is how I've always... Those thieves and robbers, of course he's talking about those Pharisees and those, you know, those religious people. Those things that are stuck in their rules and they don't want to go Jesus' way. Well, that's great as that's rambling through my mind and I'm thinking about that until suddenly you hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit saying to you, what about you, Mark? What do you mean, what about me? What about you? Have you ever gone over the wall to get something you want without going through me? Have you ever put yourself in the place that you want something so bad that even though you know that I'm still holding the door closed and I'm not inviting you in, that you're finding a way to go over the wall? I remember when I was down in Mexico, I went to a place called Topeak, Mexico on the very first mission trip I'd ever gone. And one of the things that startled me coming out of Southern California and Palm Springs is kind of the culture down there. It's, it's, it wasn't Palm Springs, I'm just telling you, it just wasn't. So one of the things that was noticeable were, were these walls around all the homes. I mean, every place I went, there were walls, but they weren't like in California where everything was lush and beautiful and then they were always about six feet high so you could kind of peek over if you wanted to. But what I found was they were eight, ten feet high and then along with that, they had these giant iron doors. Everywhere I went, there were iron, iron doors and bars and everything else. And across the top of these was glass. It was glass that had been broken and stuck into uh, cement on the top of the walls, clearly to discourage anybody from going in, coming over that wall. And as I thought about it, I thought, well, Lord, I got to be honest here. If you're asking me, am I a thief and a robber? I'm the one with the bloody hands and the scraped knees because I've climbed over many, many things to get what I want without you. And I would share that what's happening right here is there is this thought that Jesus is penetrating not only for the Pharisees, not only for the religious leaders, but for everyone that was hearing. This is about going my way. This is about surrendering to how I want to do things. This is not about you going over a wall. What happens to most of us is, is we revert back over and over again to our natural tendencies. Tendencies that start all the way when we're little. I want what I want, and I want it right now, and I will find a way to get it. For you that are parents of young, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That idea that there is some way, there's some way that we can manipulate and maneuver. In fact, thief and robber actually means this simple thing, to take what you want through deception, stealth, or even violently. It means that you find a way to get what you want. And what happens here is a reflection all the way back to the garden. Think of the Garden of Eden. They have everything, and everything is perfect, and they have never experienced sin, and then they start to decide what? I want 
what I want and can have right now without going God's way. We know what that produced. We still live with the effects of that in a world that is broken, people and humanity that is broken, and continually what is being offered back by Jesus is this idea, I am a door that will take you back to right relationship with the Father above, that will take you back from all the mistakes, the failures, not only from the past, but what happened even right now in your life. There is a door of decision that can bring you back into right relationship. Genesis chapter 4 is an interesting place because it talks about Cain and Abel. You know, those were the, the first two boys of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Hopefully they were going to be the, the salvation of the world. <laughs> but what happens is, is Cain and Abel bring, they bring an offering, each an offering to the Lord. Abel does it, and God honors that offering by declaring that the motivation behind it and the heart that was given was everything that God was looking at, and he blesses him. Cain, on the other hand, his offering is rejected. And at that point, you know exactly what takes place in Cain, all the things that we feel when we're rejected. There's something that's angry. There's something that's upset. Those things begin to rise up within him, and then this is what God says to Cain. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? That means why are you depressed? Why are you ticked off? Why are you, your emotions are getting the best of you here? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies, and it's the same word, at the door. At the door. Its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. We know what happens with Cain. He blows right by those, that statement from the Lord, that offering of grace, that offering of mercy, that offering of a better way of life, and he goes, no, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I know how I'll get everything. I'm going to kill my brother. And so he does. He kills Abel. But the picture there is one of a choice and a decision and it is oftentimes our decisions in life, they are made at the door. The door meaning the door of the way God would offer you something, the way God would have for you, the way that Jesus would provide through, for you through his death and resurrection, and the other way, which is basically your way. What happens here is the, the end product is, is that door of decision always brings about something in us that'll make us have to choose. And I would suggest to you that you make more of those choices every day than you have any idea. The choices that you make are meant to be through a door of decision that is governed by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He wants to be part of your decisions and choices that move you closer and into a more intimate relationship with his Father instead of moving you further and further away. We all know what it's like to make the wrong choice. Well, I'll speak for myself. I know what it's like to make the wrong choices. You know, there's probably, I'm, I'm, I'll be surprised someday at what the list really looks like if God wants to show it. It's like, can all, it was said of Jesus' miracles that all of the miracles and things he had done could not be put in all the books of the world. I would say that the sins of Mark could probably be similar. 
You're just talking about He knows the way I think. He knows what goes on in my heart. And that God loves me. And He loves you. And He's providing a door. A door to make a decision into right relationship. And His name, not the name of the door, His name is Jesus. He's the door. Next thing I want you to see, and it's got to do a lot with what we've been singing about, and that is this idea of a door of deliverance. Because it says to the shepherd, he says, anyone that will enter through this door will be saved. Who? Anyone. Anyone who comes through me, through Jesus, will be saved. Now, that word saved means a lot of different things to us, but the, it carries with it two different kind of concepts. One is for negativity and one is for positive. The negative side goes like this. Saved means rescued or saved from something. Okay? Re- literally, rescued or saved. Delivered. In fact, we sang about it so much. Our worship today was filled with this idea that there is a deliverer. There's a deliverance that can be had in your and my life. And so what happens here is that's the negative side. You can be rescued from bad situations, from difficult, I guess you'd call it, the pileup of sin in our life. And then the other side is, it's the positive. Kept safe. Kept sound. Preserved. In a state of restoration. It's the idea that getting saved is not a one-moment deal. Getting saved is a journey through a door, and God, through Christ, says these words. The shepherd will lead his sheep in and out of the door. He wants to be a part of every one of your decisions, and he wants to move you deeper, deeper into restoration, to healing, to wholeness, to salvation. And it is a process that is meant to be lived not once, but every day of our life. He is the door, and he's the door of deliverance. When that word is spoken there, the idea of the door, it explodes thoughts inside of the Jewish community and inside of their culture and of their history. See, when, when that word is spoken, you cannot get by the fact that the door is what is used in Genesis 6, 15 and 16, when it says this, put a door, same word, in the ark. Put a door in the ark. What was going to be for the salvation of Noah and his family and the animal planet was also in a place that it is a door. It was a door that was so big that Bible says then it was time for the flood to come that God himself closed the door. That was not something that man was going to be able to do. Only God would close the door. And I would just share with you that that time of that door being open for you and for me, it is wide open. And no one can close that. Not the Jewish religious leaders who are casting this blind man out. They can't close it. No one can close what God wants to do in your and my life until he says it's done. It's over. Their time here is finished. And so what you have here in this deliverance, those are pictures that come to their mind. But it's not just that. Think of the Passover. Think of the Passover in in Exodus chapter 12. When the Israelites are in the place, they're about to come out of Egypt. God's saying, I'm going to deliver you. 
I'm going to bring deliverance to your life. And they, he says to them what? Put the blood on the doorposts. And then everyone stay inside behind the door all night. Do not come out from underneath this until the morning. Those pictures are things that as he's speaking there in the temple, they don't miss what he's saying. We sometimes do. We think of a door more like, oh yeah, well you can go in or you can go out. I mean, he's speaking about the difference between life and death. About completeness and wholeness and absolutely being sucked of all life out of you. And when that happens there is that they respond and understand exactly what he is saying. When Jesus Christ says that he is the door, the one and only door, it's a door of distinction. It's a door that forces the decision because you must choose whether you will allow him to be the Lord. Not just of a decision to let him save you, but a decision that you want to be someone who walks in and out of life with him. That you want to walk in and out of circumstances. You want him to be Lord and master of your life. And you are willing to submit your will to his. Just like Jesus when he spoke and said, not my will, but thy will be done. That's where Jesus is leading all of us. You can't walk through that door of deliverance and not understand that where he's taking you is to the Father and he wants you bent and completely surrendered to the will of the Most High God. That's what he does. That's who he is. And that's what he invites us to enter into. Final thing I want to share with you is that it's not just a door of deliverance and decision. It's also a, a door of discipleship. I don't know if, if you, you think very much about the things that are spoken there, but it says this, the sheep hears his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and then he leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him and they know his voice. That's discipleship. That's Jesus coming to call you and I by name, to call us out, provide a deliverance, to provide a door, a place towards freedom, and then he wants us to follow him. And he wants to be the leader of our life. And he will go before us. And he asks for us to hear his voice, to listen to what he would speak to our heart and our soul and respond to that. That's really where we end up going when we talk about this door of discipleship because so many of us, if you're like me, if there's an open door and there's something I want behind it, I'm going in after it. That, oh, that's, that's door number one and it's, I want that. And then the next thing I know, I'm moving right towards it. Little do I know that I haven't even mentioned to God, well, Lord, is that something you want me to have? Of course he wants me to have it. The door's open and I want it. But what happens here is what Jesus is walking them into and is trying to bring them to is that not every open door, though it may be even opened by God himself, is not meant for what you think it's meant for. See, we think anytime there's a door open that it's for us. And that we, if we walk into that door, then we should have that. Can I tell you that more often than not in my own personal life, 
I have had doors open, and behind those doors were wonderful, godly, spiritual things. Only to hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit go, that's not for you. But you opened the door. I mean, why would anybody open the door and let me see it and then not have it? It might just be about discipleship. Are you going to be ruled by circumstances? Are you going to be ruled by what you want? Are you going to listen to my voice and follow me? There is no safety in an open door unless the one who's leading you through it, his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. You have to believe that. And it's so hard because everything inside of us, the things that we've been raised from, we want it. We want it, and because we want it, we think we should have it. And yet what God constantly does is brings us to this place. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 2.12 was talking about a really great moment and a great moment of ministry. And he says these words. I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord. But I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, that's a nice way of saying I said goodbye, and I departed and headed for Macedonia. Paul was in a place that he's acknowledging by his own words that the door was opened to him by the Lord. But his spirit would not gain rest in that place, and so he said goodbye. There was nothing that wasn't wonderful behind that door. There wasn't anything behind that door that wasn't meant to bring glory and honor to God, and it actually was Paul's motivation. And yet in the midst of that, he felt something and understood something of the direction of the Holy Spirit that made him say, sorry, I got to go to Macedonia. See, I believe, church, that so oftentimes that what we get offered, some would call it a test, others would call it a temptation, and maybe they're both. But it's the idea of being in the opportunity and the place where you get an opportunity to see and the whole world gets an opportunity to see what you believe about following Jesus Christ. Why and how you make decisions. What's going on in your heart, not what's just going on out there. Do circumstance rule or is it truly Christ the door for your life? One of the great examples I find in Scripture is in, in the life of David. David uh, Ben mentioned him earlier when he was talking about the Psalm 30, 34 and the time when he was fleeing from Saul. I think you know the story of David. He's anointed as a, as, as a young man to be the next king of Israel. He takes down Goliath. He becomes a champion of the nation, all those things. Uh, serves, serves loyally in the court of Saul. And then what happens is everything turns on him. And he begins to have to flee from the very king he was serving, even though God has already said to him, you're going to be the next king. So he is fleeing from the king, though he is supposed to be the king. And as he does that, what happens is he is on constant fleeing for his life. But there's on numerous occasions where open doors were provided for him 
by God. By God. And what happened in each of those are so interesting in terms of the response and what took place, not only in David, but what is meant to take place in the life of a believer. The first one is, is David and his men have hid into a cave. Saul's hot on their trail. He's pounding right behind him. They get in, they hide in the cave, and what happens is Paul and his army are heading along, and I mean Saul and his army are heading along, and Saul needs a potty break. Basically, the king needs a potty break, so he looks, he sees the cave, he goes up to take a potty break. He takes the potty break in the cave that David's in. And of course, all of David's men instantly say, this is God. Not that he's taking a potty break, but this is the opportunity that you've been looking for. This is none other than the hand of God offering you the kingship right now. We don't have to flee anymore. We don't have to hide anymore. This is it. Well, David, he doesn't succumb to doing that, but he basically crawls up close enough to see where Saul had dropped his robe and cut a piece off of it and then went back probably going, (laughs) I mean, all the things that you would go with if you did something like that. So he does that, and the king goes out, but David, it says, was stricken in his heart and his spirit. He couldn't even handle that he had done that to the king, let alone taken the king's life open door but how to respond same thing happens again scripture says that there was a time when when Saul and his army were spread out before David and his men they were hiding in the hills and they looked down and they decided that everybody was asleep it said that God put a sleep upon them so everyone in the camp of Saul every soldier dedicated to defend him everyone that was meant to be on God everybody was asleep so David and his men sneak down in there And once again, what an opportunity. But instead of taking the javelin and ramming it through and being, I'm the king now, it says he took the javelin, he takes a jar of water, and he goes off with it. See, in those cases, what you have there is someone that understood that an open door was meant to be submitted to the Lord for what to do with it. Fast forward. He's on a rooftop. He looks out and there's a naked woman named Bathsheba. His response, this has got to be God. What a difference. And it brings up this simple thing. Open doors are meant to be submitted to the life and character and nature of the Most High God, not to your own. He succumbed to something in one place where he had over and over been victorious at open doors, but not at that one. And it took not the voice of God to correct him. God had to send Nathan the prophet to speak to him about what God was saying because he couldn't hear it anymore. He'd gone through an open door, had grabbed onto something that he wanted and was unwilling to release it because he convinced himself that it was God. And I would share with you the same thing can happen to all of us. Submitting yourself to discipleship and deliverance and that understanding that a decision is meant to be made on a regular basis about where you're going and what you're doing. Those are all things that have to do with understanding that Jesus Christ is the door. The one and only door. And he wants you to choose him 
as the door for your life. Not just once, but over and over and over again. So you can walk into what he says in that scripture, that they might have abundant life. He's not out to stop you from the enjoyment and wonder of what God has for you. It's just the opposite. He wants you to experience, so come through the door. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to invite the um, worship team to come. And as they come, I want to conclude by just sharing with you a story. It was late at night in 1971, and a prodigal was driving back into his hometown. No one knew he was coming. He'd been too afraid to call. He was afraid they might say, no, no, you are not welcome here. His mind was filled with confusing thoughts, wondering if anyone would be home. In fact, sometimes hoping maybe they wouldn't be. He'd squandered everything, their trust, their money, their respect, and for what? A lifestyle that had left him broken, sickly, and nowhere else to turn but back home. As he parked out on the street and walked up the dim walkway, the porch light was on, just like it always had been at night. What would he say? What could he say? He knocked and there was a stirring inside and someone was coming. Maybe it'd be my mom. But no, the door opened and there was the shadow of his father. The light behind his father was hiding his facial expressions and for a moment they just stood in silence. Then the prodigal simply said, can I come home? And the father quietly responded, come on in. That prodigal was me. And that father was my dad. That is a night I will never, ever forget. And it was a moment that literally changed my life. It was a moment that began to have me go through and seek all that God had for me. It was a door that opened up to me the possibility of deliverance, the possibility of discipleship, the possibility that there was hope for me. And I'm here today to say the simple thing. The door is still open. Doesn't matter whether you've walked with him for years or you have never once given your heart and soul to him. That door is open and it will remain open because he's standing there. This morning I just invite you to just consider the places where you may have been climbing over walls and doing things that you shouldn't do. Consider places where you're carrying all kinds of baggage that God is trying to get you to let go of. Consider the fact that maybe the next step of discipleship is to take another step inside that door and let Him lead you. Part of your daily life, every day of your life, Jesus, the door. Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the declarations that you make. Lord, we can't help but think back. And when we were thinking about those simple things, that you're the bread of life, sustenance for us. You're the light of the world. You are light in the midst of darkness. 
And today, Lord, that you are sharing with us clearly once again that you are the door. Father, we surrender our hearts to your son, Jesus Christ. We know, Lord, there's things that need to continue to happen in us as we grow. Places, Lord, where we need to be delivered. Places where we need to find safety. Places, Lord, where we need to be restored and preserved. Places, Lord, where we need to be rescued. Lord, we just surrender ourselves to the one who says he's the door. And that if we enter in, we will be saved. Lord, you see us. We're coming. (laughs) We're coming. We're coming because there's only one place that we can find that, that hope for our lives, that ongoing preservation and safety. It's through you. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks and praise. Amen. Amen. Got a couple action steps for you. Actually, I got three. Number one, ask the Holy Spirit to identify the excess baggage in your life and then let it go. Take a moment to meet with God before you go out your door each day and listen to what he has to say. Look for Jesus. Thanks. Look for Jesus to call you, lead you, and go ahead of you this week. And don't forget to follow him. God bless you.